action. Uh, welcome back to Catechized, <laughs> the podcast where we discuss the historic reform confessions and catechisms. I'm your host, Josh. With me, as always, is my co-host, St. John the Divine, patron saint of, uh, 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 of running. Um, oh, oof. That is, yeah. that is definitely not what I am the patron saint of. No, no, no. You've thank gone you. on your first run today. <laughs> and I ran uh, one. And you deserve it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. I'll take it. Man, for those uh, who are relying on a patron saint of running, I apologize. I will not be much help in, uh, I don't know. What do saints, what do patron saints even do? <laughs> um, oh, John. Never mind. Oh, John, we don't have time to talk about Rome today. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> we have a we have a busy, very busy episode for you today. The one Julie, you have the, all been waiting for. From the very moment we started this podcast, the moment everyone's been waiting to 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 hear us talk about why you should baptize your babies. Yeah, we uh, we dropped the question one episode, and people are like, "Oh man." I'm just going to sit here and follow them until they hit question 95 and then I can uh then I can hear their views on infant versus uh, <laughs> believer baptism. That's right. So, yeah, Honestly, many... I feel like a, pro- a lot of people are probably at least curious about this one. Um I would imagine. Yeah, I would uh... assume. But um or like or they want to hear just cuz they're like r- raging against us for our views and want to like I would love even that kind of interaction just because it's, it's interaction, you know? Yeah, it's good fun. I thrive um, under hostility, John. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, Josh is, Josh, is, Josh is your man for, like, debate. And I'm, I'm, I'm not as debatey, unfortunately. I'm, I'm just, I don't know. Anyway, we're getting into it. As we've, uh, as we've talked about the last uh, several episodes, um, basically this whole season, we've been going over the means of grace, looking at uh, the way in which grace is communicated to us. And so divide uh, previous question divided this up into three section, the word um, sacraments and prayer. This up, this season covers the word and sacraments. So we're on the second part of that sacraments. And today we are talking about baptism, um, getting into question 95, which deals with who should be baptized. Yeah. So uh, shall I read the question, and then you read the question, and then we get going? Yeah, do it. Sweet. Here we go. So we are reading question 95 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and here's the question. To whom is baptism to be administered? And the answer, baptism is not to be administered to any that are out of the visible church till they profess their faith in Christ and obedience to him. But the infants of such as are members of the visible church are to be baptized. Nice. Um, uh, question 95, again, from the Shorter Catechism. To whom is baptism to be administered? Baptism is not to be administered to any that are out of the visible church till they profess their faith in Christ and obedience to him. But infants of such as are members of the visible church are to be baptized. Two quick right. things. One, clearly, we are full of life and energy today, and it's, and it's evident to the listener that we're not recording at 5 a.m. anymore. Um, and I think <laughs> so that's <fun>. true. <laughs> but a quick caveat, I like hurt my back because I'm 30 now and apparently 30-year-olds hurt Ooh. their back all the time. I'm sorry, and so Josh. I might need to stand up at some point. <laughs> so bear with me. <laughs> might, um, <laughs> uh, might have to do like a, 
maybe kneel at your table. Well, I, I just bring it up because I just I like made a noise. I was like, oh, and I was like, uh. oh, people <laughs> can hear this, and I don't want to. I might not be able to edit all that out. Anyways, <laughs> um, uh, uh, that's it's, okay. it's a lot better. And then also, I think this question is worded hilariously because really? it's like, to whom do we give baptism? And it's like, not these people. And you're yeah. like, oh. <laughs> it oh, just, that's like, true. It asks who, and it answers by saying, who not? <laughs> yeah. And if you, if, for anyone who's like spent time kind of digging into the questions or trying to memorize the questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, generally you have kind of a launch pad from the question into the answer because it'll be like, uh, who is the only redeemer of God, or who's the redeemer of God's elect? The mm-hmm. only redeemer of God's elect is, you know. Um, It'll, it's something like that. And, and so this one feels... This, this one, they're like, we're just going to switch it up on you. Baptism is not to be administered. <laughs> um, so That's it's funny. It's fun. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah, exciting question. A, it is, and good fun. And one that I wrestled with for like at least seven or eight years as yeah. I began my undergraduate studies and then moved my way through um, semin- uh, or uh, yeah undergrad through a, a like a year off of school into teaching and then into seminary um, wrestled with with this idea because I was not raised a paid Baptist and I'm happily one now my daughter has been baptized and that is a great thing um uh, but but yeah very interesting topic and so as to protect ourselves against rabbit trailing and 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 um what's that what's that other word for distraction I don't know um <laughs> It's going Diverge. a tangent. Yeah, tangent. <laughs> going a going a tangent. Trying to find the word tangent. Um, uh, to, to protect against those things, we're trying to stick to this uh, little outline uh, more strictly, maybe. Um, yeah. and, and we're first going to look at the idea of covenantal continuity, so that they're the, 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 by defending or pro- proposing or or surveying, I guess, the continuity, the level of continuity between old and new covenants. They're not identical, but there is continuity. Uh, and then looking at um, the idea of an argument from silence. Um, and then because the nowhere in the New Testament does do the apostles say, baptize your babies. And nowhere in the New Testament do they say, don't baptize your babies or only be baptized when you believe. None of those yeah. instructions are given clearly. So there's some level of, well, we'll get there. Uh, and then we're going to look at the ways in which circumcision parallels baptism, particularly focusing on Colossians uh, uh, 2. And then we're going to look briefly at some other adjacent ideas before going to a little history of the week, um, a heresy of the week, and a question. So Sweet. That's yep. the path that lies before you if you should choose to journey with us. If you choose dear to. Dear listener. <laughs> yeah. Um, sweet. All right. Well, let's jump into it. So starting with what was it? Covenant continuity? Covenantal continuity. So I, I think the, 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 the first, I guess, overarching idea that, that paedo-baptists like ourselves, uh, particularly of the Reformed. So, oh, yeah, quick, maybe this quick, is a good caveat. Oh, quick, Yeah, quick side note. Paedo-baptist means like baptized as a baby. Credo-baptism credo credo baptism is baptized by creed or by faith so when you become a believer you're baptized so it's infant and believer baptism or pedo and credo baptism just a just in case anyone didn't know good also us like we are going to be defending the reformed understanding of pedo infant child baptism not all pedo baptism we yeah. do not think 
uh, about baptism, what the Orthodox think or the Roman Catholics or even the Lutherans mm -hmm. um, or anyone else who I'm not Anglicans. <laughs> Anglicans, yeah. we agree with some of them and we really disagree with some because they can believe whatever they want. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a little unfair jab, but it's fun for me to do that. Anyways. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Josh, you jerk. Just so <laughs> we're defending very specifically a reformed understanding of, of baptizing the children of believers. And yeah. again, part of that is they must be children of believers, not just some random kid who we got to go wash away their original sin. Yeah. That being said, the, 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 the overarching background to this idea um, is that God deals with a covenant people and when he deals with his covenant people, he deals with them as family. Mm -hmm. um, and this has been from the beginning through uh, how God has worked. Um, and so the, one of the, the places that we point to, to to see this continuity between how God views his people is in, is in Genesis 17 and the, the whole Genesis collective of the uh, the covenant of Abraham, where God forms his people. And in that, he says, um, this promise, this covenant is for you and for your offspring. It's for you and for your children. Um, and, and, and continuously and repetitively and um, without <laughs> change throughout the Old Testament, the promise has been for Abraham and his seed, Abraham and his descendants. Yeah. Um, and, and then in Acts 2, when you have the new covenant being like really inaugurated with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So the new covenant was was um, was cut, to use the biblical language, uh, in the body and blood of Christ on the cross. Mm -hmm. uh, this is my blood. This is the blood of the new covenant. Um, uh, but it was more kind of inaugurated or, or brought into a new level of reality when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the people of God. And on Pentecost, when that happened, um, Peter preaches a sermon to which the Jews respond by saying, oh, crap, what do we do? We just killed the Messiah. Um, and uh, Peter responds by saying, this is Acts 2, 38, 39 and following, um, uh, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, for the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. And, and so there's a very clear, like, Peter seems to be saying, you know how God has dealt with his people. He does that still. The, prom the covenant promises are for believers and their children and all who are far off. And then there's the everyone who believes, which again, it's not as if in the Old Testament to be a Jew um, was enough. You had to be a believing Jew. Uh, and so a lot of a lot of times people say, well, see, it's for the ones, the ones who believe. Well, that's always been the case that that amplifies the covenant continuity, uh, which we'll see when we look at First Corinthians 10. Uh, but but yes, the promises of the covenant are for believers and their children. John. Yeah, um, there. Honestly, Josh, you kind of said everything pretty well right there. Um, nice job. Basically, I'd, I'd just add. um this will this will kind of I don't want to jump too far ahead, but this is why we see in the in the Genesis account circumcision is applied to um, infants when they are like basically it was it like seven eight days after they're eight born days, eight, uh -huh. eight days after they're born I just like seven is such a normal number in the Bible am I mixing it up um, but yeah eight days after they're born but then like if someone is sort of grafted into the the Israelite tribe they're circumcised as adults. Um, 
but anyway, so the idea that we see is that um, infants are part of the community right off the bat. Um, and the Peter, uh, what you read in Acts with, with Peter's sermon sort of suggests the exact same thing. It's hard to, it's hard to get around that continuity there. Um, and it's hard to see, basically a shift there would be enormous, um, were <laughs> Peter to suddenly kind of pull that, um, right. like if he, uh, if Peter was like, Basically, if it was insinuated that Peter no longer wanted the infants to be part of the covenant community, um, then like that would be an extreme switch for the Jewish people. Yeah, it'd be a big derivation in a new direction, which is where we're going next, but we're not going there. Sorry. Um, No, no, no. Yeah. So it's good to tease and 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 show the continuity of our argument. So yeah, thank you. Um, But yeah, well, that's I think that covers covenant continuity at least. Well, yeah, I want to go to 1 Corinthians 10 really quickly. Um, oh, okay. Sorry. Go yeah. for, I no, forgot. My yeah, bad. You're totally, you're totally good. So that idea, the promise. So God deals with a covenant people. That covenant people includes believers and their children. That reality is seen in all the New Testaments. Mm. Genesis 17, Acts 2. That's where we're operating from right now. We're building yeah. a case. Right now, you're like, you haven't said anything about whatever. Anyways, um, in 1 <laughs> Corinthians 10, Paul writes, we read this. Sometimes W's and R's are hard to pronounce. In we wed with. Yeah. <laughs> that's why little kids. That's why little kids do it. Um, <laughs> we read this last week, but we said it'd come into play more this week, and here it is. Uh, Paul writes uh, to the church in Corinth: "I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that your fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink." For the drink, uh, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Um, and, and and then he talks about how we should not fall into the same idolatry as them, yeah. uh, as Israel. And uh, uh, again, so this this so some may say, some may argue that, well the old covenant people and the new covenant people are different and who belongs to them is different because mm-hmm. uh, in the new covenant, uh, your belonging um, depends upon faith. Yeah. Uh, and in the old covenant, it was belonging by being an, a, an Israelite. Um, but that like true Israel, which Paul argues about and, and the, the prophets argue all the time is not those who are of Abraham. This is like the essential argument of Galatians but those who have faith. And so even when the old covenant was the Israelites, real Israel was only those who, um, who uh, uh, joined their covenant belonging and their covenant signs with true faith that were God's real people. Uh, And yet it was the ones, even the ones who did not have faith, the ones who displeased God by their idolatry were still God's covenant people. Um, the, the prophets all the time say you, you're circumcised, but you need the circumcision of the heart. Um, and so the, there's always this reality that the external signs which God gives his covenant people must be grasped by faith to be true, truly God's people, uh, to be, to be, yeah, uh, yeah, to be saved. And, um, and so 
the this all who believe caveat of Peter's sermon in Acts 2 is not a new caveat, but that is, again, a caveat that is consistent with the covenant people across the history of God's people. Yeah. Uh, it's always these promises are for believers and their children and all, and all who believe. Um, and yet the true members of the covenant are those who have faith, but yeah. the signs of the covenant are for all who are members of the visible covenant's people, um, even if those people... Um, scorn their covenant belonging by idolatry and rebellion. Um, and, and so, and, and again, it's uh, this idea. I, I had a friend who's a Baptist argue, like, I think the, well, we'll get to this later uh, when we get to circumcision. But he, he basically was like, the circumcision of the heart is, um, is the new covenant version of Old Testament circumcision. And so that parallel doesn't hold up. And I was like, well, but in the old covenant, that the Israelites were always called to to need the circumcision of the heart to to need yeah. this spiritual work of God, um, but anyways, that's the the, the covenant continuity um, that the the way God's people are dealt with has a level of continuity that sets the stage for um, infant baptism being God's design for His people. Yeah, it's always well. Yeah, even you think of like Hebrews eleven. It's always been about by faith. It's never been just a. Uh, you know, just say, ah, just because you're born from a, a Jewish person, you're good, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Cool. That's, that's Let a me, great point. Love it. Let me briefly outline the next thing, and then you can sure. you can explain it. So the next idea is this this argument that, that oftentimes as people debate who should be baptized, there's this argument of, well, the, bat, the, the New Testament doesn't say to baptize your babies. And so you're making an argument from silence, whether you're appealing to household baptisms and acts or to the parallel between circumcision and baptism that we will go to next. Um, you're arguing from silence that, uh, that, that, that there is a teaching that infants should be baptized. Um, and yes, we grant that there is no uh, direct instruction in the New Testament to baptize children, to baptize the, the children of believers. But the question is, is that the true greatest argument from silence? And we would say no, because as John mentioned earlier, if you look at the covenantal norms of the people of God, it was that what how God's people have operated for thousands of years, the way that they understood themselves, their identity, their relation to God, was that me and my children are God's covenant people. And so the, uh, if that changed in the New Testament, if when the new covenant was brought in, the, the identity of God's covenant people consisted of professing believers only, that would be a dramatic change in the way that God mm -hmm. worked or the way that God's people understood themselves according to God's instruction. Um, and that, that monstrous level of change would warrant direct instruction. And nowhere in the New Testament do we have an argument that says that the identity of God's covenant people changes from believers and their children to confessing believers only. And that's a much larger change that happens in silence. And so basically what we say is one would assume that if direct instruction isn't given, then the thing is continuing as it has been. Yeah. And because there's no direct direct instruction that the identity of the covenant people has changed, then we are wrong to assume, believe, or teach that the identity has changed and are most consistent to say that it has not. John. Yeah, yeah that's great. I think um, 
oftentimes every now and then you'll hear someone argue something to the effect of like, well, in the Old Testament, it says this, but Jesus never said this. Therefore, Jesus must be okay with it. And generally, our response to that is Jesus doesn't add to it because, you know, it's so understood in the Old Testament that he doesn't feel the need to mix things up at all. It's a settled Uh, matter. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You don't need to you don't need to comment on a settled matter. And so with with uh, the being believers in children, like Josh mentioned, is clearly uh, established in the Old Testament, and it is not changed anywhere. And so although there is no um, specific command, baptize your infant children, um, that that doesn't mean there's a strong argument. That doesn't mean basically that it's, oh, suddenly they've changed it. That's a closed case. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, yeah. And so I think oftentimes there's this argument of like, there's sort of this argument of, well, there's only believer baptisms in the in the uh, New Testament, which itself is somewhat debatable because there's several uh, family baptisms mentioned. You know, the jailer uh, in who is it? Is Lydia. It? Yeah, and Lydia. Both of them are baptized with their families, and um, and so that is at at the very least, you know, sheds some doubt on that. Um, but yeah, like Josh said, there's no change. One other one other aspect of this, um, well, actually, I actually actually I want to read a quote real quick because I, I was about to say, do yeah, you have that quote you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, I, I pulled it up. So um, basically, so there's a there's a well known quote by BB Warfield, who's a reformed Benjamin theologian. Breckenridge Warfield. What a name, <laughs> Breckenridge. That is a well, pretty cool middle name actually. I take it. Um, but anyway, he has a quote. Um, he arguing for basically explaining this. He says this, the argument in a nutshell is simply this. God established his church in the days of Abraham and put his children into it. When it says church, it's talking about his people. They must remain there until he puts them out. He has nowhere put them out. They are still then members of his church and as such entitled to its ordinances. And so I think this gives us a basically a help, helpful understanding of the, like he says, argument in a nutshell where they're never put out. It never says anywhere that they're excluded now from the covenant people. And so they're still members of it and entitled to its ordinances. One, uh, one final point I would add to this is when, when we talk about this, we as Reformed Christians don't believe that tradition is infallible as, as Catholics do. However, we do, argue, we do argue that tradition is important. We don't think tradition is nothing. We think it's it's important. And so even from the tradition aspect, the argument is in favor of pedo-baptism. Um, and that's something I think we'll flesh out a little bit more later. But um, but basically, that's something that's helpful to remember as well. Uh, credo, believer ba- believer's baptism was not really a thing for the first, what, 1,500 years of the church. Um, with, and, with some particular exceptions that are, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not to say that it didn't exist. Um, and not to say that that itself is a, you know, a knockdown drag out argument by any means, but it's just a point to take into consideration as well. Yeah. And I think with that, um, awareness of tradition is, is really important because, um, for us to hear about, for many in American Christianity to hear pedo baptism. Um, that's often 
that often either is like, oh, well, that's Catholic, period, and that's the end of the thing. <laughs> yeah. Or um, that's such a foreign idea. That's unfamiliar. And so if it's if that's the unfamiliar thing, if that's the different thing, then you really have to prove it. Um, and, and, and we don't recognize that what the reality is, is that um, – that culturally we are so used to believers baptism uh, in our generation in the United States because of the way that the church has developed in America, um, that, that, that we are culturally used to believers baptism. Mm -hmm. But if you go back to the new Testament era and the time when the new Testament was written and the earliest days of the church, um, that, that, that individualism and emphasis on the individual's public profession being associated with baptism that the, the baptistic assumptions that are the water we swim in were not present then. Mm -hmm. And the norm, the norm would be children are included. Yeah. And, and so when, whereas we are used to um, believers baptism and anything else really has to over prove itself. Um, when the new Testament was written, that wasn't the case. The opposite was the case. Uh, ch children inclusion was the norm. And so we can't think that, um, our cultural norm. We can't read the New Testament as if it, it was written and existed in an era where the cultural norms were identical to our own. We yeah. should not be blind to the traditions that influence us uh, and, and should be aware of them when we try and, and understand and interpret scripture and history. Yeah, I think that's, I, I think that's great. Great cool. clarification. The next one, and this is the kind of culmination of this covenantal argument, is that circumcision it parallels and is replaced with baptism as the sign of belonging to the covenant people of God. Mm -hmm. So um, God's covenant, God has worked, God works with a covenant people. That covenant people consists of those who have faith in him and their children. Uh, we see this from beginning to end of covenantal uh, theology in the, in the Bible from Genesis, where God's covenant is for you and for your offspring. And we see Peter continue that next to um, we see nothing in the New Testament that changes that reality. There's no shift to say that the covenant consists only of professing believers and not of their children. Uh, and so um, in the same way that the old covenant people gave the sign of you are marked off as belonging not to the world, but to God and his people circumcision, um, that reality uh, of the sign being given to the, the covenant people um, continues with baptism into the new covenant because God still deals with covenant, his people as a covenant people and his covenant people are still believers in their children. Um, and, and so a quick note here, every Christian believes in credo baptism for those who are not born in the covenant community. Everyone always, the church always teaches that if you convert from anything to Christ, you're baptized upon your profession of faith. Mm -hmm. But the question is, what do you do with your kids if you are a believer? Um, and that, that's always been the case. Again, continuity. When, when Gentiles converted to Judaism, they were circumcised. And, and when pagans convert to Christianity, they're baptized. But what do they do with their kids? And if because of that continuity, um, the sign of being marked off as God's uh, just as it was given to infants in the old covenant is given to infants in the new covenant. Uh, and, and the question is, well, where in the new Testament is this parallel sussed out? Where, where do you derive your conviction that baptism is the new covenant version of circumcision? Why do you say that? And so we're going to go to Corinthians Colossians two in a second, John. Yeah. 
I was just going to add um, to what you said before because I think it's really helpful. When when you're baptizing converts, it's always credo baptism, like you said. This is why credo baptism is so prevalent in the New Testament. Um, it's because in a missional context, you're almost always doing credo baptism um, because you're when someone converts, you baptize them as a believer. Um, it's only when someone who is already a believer has children or it's only when you have an established and maturing church do you see create yeah. baptism and and even even in the missional context of the new testament like i said we do see s- sort of family baptisms happening and so yeah so that just ex- helps to explain why that is that is the case um but yeah that that is a great point um yeah that what what would we expect in in texts and histories uh, in and extra of the Bible, in the Bible and outside of the Bible, where um, they are mostly stories of conversion to Christ? You expect believers' baptism, mm-hmm. um, and and we would expect children infant baptism to be seen in churches that are established, maturing, growing. Um, once you fo- once you have believers who are having children. Yeah. Then you would start to see that. And so context again matters. So uh, so again, to, to support this with scripture, which we must do for all things that we teach and believe and do. Um, Colossians 2, 11 through 14, I think, gives this, um, th- this clear uh, picture that the apostles, particularly Paul, but Paul, <laughs> Paul is not a rogue apostle. <laughs> yeah. Um, understand the parallel between circumcision and baptism and positively teach that baptism um, acts in the new covenant in the way that circumcision did. So I'll read that for you. This is Colossians 2, 11 to 14, mm. where Paul writes, uh, in him, in Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Mm-hmm. Um and so Paul in Colossians and Ephesians, but all especially, but everywhere emphasizes that our salvation, and we've talked about this before, is a union with Christ, is possessing Christ. Um, and here we see that idea, right, that we are in Christ. And how are we made members of Christ? And we see this, this discussion of circumcision and baptism together, that we are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Again, this idea of the circumcision of your heart, which is all throughout the Old Testament. And also, we have been buried with him in baptism, uh, in which we're also raised with him. Um, uh, again, this idea, we see this in, in Galatians with and, and Romans, that like your baptism depicts this being it's not just a washing. It's also buried with Christ and baptism and raised in newness of life. Um, And, and so this parallel treatment of baptism and circumcision as marking one off as Christ's, I think um, demonstrates pretty clearly that the apostles understood and taught 
that there was a parallel between these two covenant signs and their indication of one's belonging to Christ. Um, and in this period of transition from old covenant people to new covenant people and old covenant sign to new covenant sign. Yeah, I, that was great, Josh. Nice work. <laughs> I, I, I don't think there's a whole lot to add to that. I think you covered it pretty well. Um, circumcision, then baptism. I don't know. You said it well. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and yeah, cool. So I guess the kind of <laughs> the shot, the shotgun shot of, of other adjacent ideas that, that <laughs> will round yeah. out the, the discussion of the question includes like, what are the implications then of baptizing or not baptizing your children? Um, first, and this is like, not the same, but my, one of my first concerns is like, this does matter. Um, I've had conversations with friends and there's a group uh, that my, my close friends, um, we, we've had conversations to the point where it's become a joke where I'm made fun of for my, my, my desire to talk about baptism. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like, there are some who are paedo-baptists, some who are credo-baptists, some who are paedo-baptists and care. They're like, baptizing your babies is good. You should do it. Some who are paedo-baptists and are like, I'll baptize my kids, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, or I'm not upset if someone doesn't agree with me. Yeah. Um, and some who were raised paedo Baptist but are now credo Baptist. Th- whatever. There's this vast collection of yeah, people. Yeah. Um, and one of my points as to why this matters so much is because of the implications of it. Um, and one of the pictures of the seriousness of this is we see it in in if circumcision is is the foreshadowing sign that points to baptism, which I think it is, and baptism mm-hmm. is the, the new sign that replaces circumcision, um, how seriously do we treat circumcision? Well, in the Old Testament, this yeah. is a, it's a really important thing. Um, God, God, God threatens Moses' life because he failed to baptize or to circumcise, circumcise his son. Yeah. And Miriam is uh, praised, not Miriam, um, Shoot. Uh, uh, Zipporah. Yeah, that's it. I was like, Zipporah, I know Moses' Zipporah. wife, is praised for her basically covering her husband's butt when he failed by circumcising their son. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and Joshua, the first thing he does, and I was, when I was teaching this class to ninth graders Old Testament survey, I emphasized how, how ridiculous this would seem to someone outside. Um, but Joshua, when he takes Israel into the promised land to take it, the first thing he does is celebrate Passover and then circumcise all of the, the all of Israel. Now yeah. think about it. like they have just crossed the Jordan, which marks their entrance from the wilderness into enemy territory. And the first thing he does in enemy territory is throw a feast and physically incapacitate his entire fighting force. Like, <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> just wound himself from a, from a human perspective. That is absolute folly, but, but recognizing the necessity of obedience to God and faithfulness to God, it was more important that they be obedient and trust God. And so they circumcised the generation that the wicked wilderness generation had failed yeah. to circumcise. It's an important thing to give your children the sign of the covenant because, because, again, now the other implications, because that is that is an essential part of raising them and, and to belong to Christ. And so one of the, the ultimate things that we as the church and parents particularly have to ask ourselves is how am I to view my child? How am I to raise my child? What am I to raise my child to believe about himself or herself? Um, 
and and yeah uh, and what does my covenant theology teach me and so we are in the new testament in old testament we are commanded to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the lord um we are we are commanded to raise them to in the faith that is ours um and and uh what you're ultimately saying in the conversation about baptism is is my child a member of the covenant or are they a pagan outside of the covenant? Yeah. And, and, and it like, it doesn't make sense the way that the new Testament treats so many things to view your child as being outside of the covenants, some pagan until they profess faith. Paul commands children in Ephesians four to obey their parents in the Lord. And then he quotes the promise of the fifth commandment to new covenant children, treating children of believers yeah. in the new covenant as covenant members um and um this the, the the passages about yeah like are we raising our kids to believe or are raising them to doubt um are we raising them to have faith or are we raising them to say well maybe you believe maybe you don't let's yeah. see just how well you do it's um this is something i actually with one of my systematic theology professors he was baptist and this is the thing that sort of made him change his mind. Basically, what he realized was that when you when you hold t- consistently to a Baptist view, um, which is uh, believer, ba- believer baptism, you're basically s- telling your child, you are not part of us. Um, you, you are guilty until proven innocent, sort of, rather than um, a, a Pedo baptism view believes that the child is brought into the community and they're part of the church until proven otherwise. You're assuming and raising up the child as if they are a believing member of the church. You're training them up in faith. Whereas the other, um, with a believer's baptism view, you are, you may, you know, you may say, well, of course I'm training my child up in the faith. But your actions in withholding them the sign of the covenant people is essentially to say you are not part of us you are not one of us until you if you decide to you can become part of us but you are not part of us um and so you are raising your child outside of the covenant people um and i think this is this is another compelling reason to fight for baptism because it is raising up the child in the people of God rather than raising up them maybe surrounded by believers but not as part of them right what are your default what are your default assumptions about uh, about how God works about your child about where mm-hmm. where and to whom they belong um, yeah and and I think yeah that we are we are we harm children when we uh, when we treat them like, and, and the, the response to what John would say is something like, well, they still need to, they still need to have faith themselves. And none of this is denying that. Yeah. But, but the, are, are we raising them in a way to have faith or are we raising them in a way that they should Like, I don't think it's any accident that, that children raised in Baptist communities are baptized on average, almost three, three times. Because they're raised and taught to always be questioning whether or not they belong to Christ. They're raised to always be doubting whether or not I actually am a Christian. Um, whereas the Bible calls us to to view and treat our children as covenant members and to raise them as such, instruct them as such, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and, and teach them to believe. Uh, and then if they rebel or reject 
We are to call them to repentance and discipline them accordingly because they are members of the covenant. Yes. Um, no one is saying that baptism marks you as 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 being like saved certainly or something. Yeah. But but how has God instructed His people to give the covenant sign? How has God instructed His people to raise their children? Yeah. Um, and God has instructed us to raise them as members of His covenant people. And I think this also a quick aside. Yeah like is the only way to make sense of falling away passages because clearly the Bible teaches that the elect cannot lose their salvation. Yeah. But it also teaches that there are people who, that there are people um, who, who uh, walk away from the covenant um, and are truly members of it. And so how, how do you make sense of that other than saying that you can be a member of the covenant and be treated as a member of the covenant and, and enjoy the blessings of the covenant mm-hmm. and then scorn it with unbelief. Um, yeah. Uh, why else would there be warnings in Romans of being cut off from the vine or warnings in, a fee, in Hebrews of falling away? Um, and, and so I think it, that shapes how we view the covenant. That, yeah. yeah. I think that's a great point. I think it helps clarify. Yeah, Hebrews especially has a lot of references to like, I think like Hebrews 6, what if you fall away and um, blah, blah, blah. Like it goes through a lot of things related to fall away. And I think they make the most sense in this context of... Um, if you are part of the covenant community, uh, baptized as an infant, raised in the church, and you fall away and push away. Um, yeah. So, yeah, good stuff. And, yeah, cool. Um, and that's um, not to say that's an argument for infant baptism, but it's a thing that only makes sense yeah. given the uh, legitimacy of that. In, yeah, of I th- infant baptism. I, um, I, think, I think some of the things we're saying are not necessarily like... Uh, check out this, you know, checkmate atheist sort of thing. Um, it's more Sean, of, did you just call Credo Baptist atheist? No, <laughs> no, but I know we sometimes say checkmate atheist at random times. So um, definitely not, uh, definitely not atheist. I know, I know, I know. Uh, but, but yeah, um, I think we're just trying to make it clear that biblically the pieces fit together well um, when you hold to a pedo Baptist view. In a covenantal, yeah. Yep. Shall we go to the history of the week? History of the week, hit it. The history of the week this week is basically a a teaser and uh, a a recommendation to watch a video that's 40 minutes to an hour, something like that. Mm. Um, And it's (laughs) it's fine. (laughs) My dog's making noise, people. Sorry about it. But he's really annoying with food and so i'm not going to stop him from eating because it's like oh thank god he's finally eating his breakfast okay anyways um anyway so this video is called a short history of baptizing short people um it's from a guy named ben merkel but it's a good it's a good lecture and basically it is a uh it's a history of um of infant baptism and a kind of a presentation of a survey of the history of infant baptism and it's and it's fascinating i think um but i wanted to share a piece of it that is like historical background from the intertestamental period. So between um, the the close of the Old Testament canon and the coming of Christ, um, there's a couple hundred years um, and and, and of varying significance to our understanding of of Jewish people and the the coming of Christ and such. Um, But in this period, um, so the the, the continuity uh, of like, uh, believers' children were circumcised in in Israel, but also convert converts to Israel were circumcised. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a time about in the in the first century BC, so the last hundred years before Christ, 
um, where converts to Judaism were also also baptized. Um, and there's a rabbi, Rabbi Hillel, who is familiar to those who have studied like Second Temple Judaism or uh, the rabbinic tradition or whatever. Um, and Rabbi Hillel is, uh, so Paul, the Apostle Paul, was instructed and taught by Gamaliel. And Gamaliel's grandfather, I can't remember if it's like his actual biological grandfather or his like academic grandfather. Yeah, theological <laughs> grandfather or something. But yeah. but. Paul's teacher is a descendant of Rabbi Hillel and, and Rabbi Hillel um, in, in the first century BC was explaining why converts to Judaism are baptized. And he says that um, converts to Judaism are baptized because in addition to being circumcised if they're males, uh, because um, the, those who are outside of the covenant to walk among the dead, uh, and when you are moving from the dead to the community of life, you must wash yourself and cleanse yourself. Uh, and, and this is rooted in Old Testament law that recognizes or instructs God's people that if you come in contact with a dead thing, you have to cleanse yourself in order to be clean, clean ceremonially clean. And so what the Jews were doing um, traditionally was baptizing Gentiles in addition to circumcising them because they were moving from the, the from belonging to death to life. They were moving from walking amongst the dead to walking amongst the living. Um, yeah. And this background is important in a couple ways because one, um, it kind of gives a potential new angle, but John the Baptist was calling for because what he called all of Judea to be baptized, what he was saying is like, you need to repent just like the Gentiles do. Um, you, yeah. you need to come from death to life. Be purified. Uh, but, yes. Um, but also it, it, um, it gives a kind of theological background to Paul's writings and the things that he has said, like in Colossians 2, which we read today, where baptism and circumcision are held together and also in a way that discusses you, um, you're uh, buried with him in baptism. You put off the flesh in the circumcision of Christ, buried with Christ in baptism, raised him a new life, uh, and uh, you were dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And so this connection that Paul makes between baptism and circumcision, uh, rooted in moving from death to life as one is moved from outside of the covenant to inside of the covenant, corresponds well with Jewish tradition and Jewish history. And so that connection made by Paul uh, fits well with with the Jewish understanding of of what is happening. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, I think, just an interesting background and tidbit um, that... Yep. that, that bolsters this connection between the two covenant signs that is that is super interesting it's sort of playing off of like the uh kind of cl clean unclean purification kind of um rituals we see in the old testament and explaining how they relate um sweet well shall we move on to the heresy of the week we better <laughs> Let's do it. Um, all right. Heresy of the week this week is a fun one. So um, basically, um, as always, sometimes these heresies aren't literal heresies. More often than they're not, they're just sort of like um, what we believe and what Reformed Christians believe are errors. Um, but anyway, so the heresy of the week today is basically this view that is extremely common in the U United States today, which is that baptism is a profession of faith. Um, so at the outset, I just, I want to say this, me and Josh, and we're talking, me and Josh were talking about this earlier, but there's, 
obviously there's a lot of different types of Baptists out there, but broadly speaking, you can sort of sort people into kind of two categories. Um, one is sort of like a serious reformed Baptist who has biblically argued. Sort credo Baptists into two categories. Yeah, yeah, credo Baptists. Sorry. Um, Believers Baptist can be sorted into two categories. One is sort of the serious reformed Baptist who has uh, brought his case from Scripture. Um, and so oftentimes, if you're a uh, if you're a reformed Baptist, you appeal to Jeremiah 31, where Jeremiah talks about uh, the sort of a, a sense of discontinuity between the old and new covenant. And you argue, therefore, that um, because we see the discontinuity here. Um, it's only for believers. Um, we're not talking so much about them today, um, in the heresy of the week at least. We're talking more about the other camp, which is more like the pragmatic, practical uh, reason for believers' baptism. And oftentimes when you talk to people, um, maybe like a casual Baptist or a casual non-denominational <laughs> non Christian, yeah. the reason they believe in believer believers' baptism is not because they've you know, kind of struggled with the text of Jeremiah 31 and wrestled with Colossians 2 and stuff like that is more simply because they believe in the in the practicality of it. Well, you know, if I baptize them as an infant, it doesn't mean anything to them. They don't remember it. So it's kind of pointless. So I think it's better just to wait until they're older, baptize them when they'll remember it, when they've made a profession of faith. And it's sort of a sign of their standing for the Lord. Yeah, um, because, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say because what is like what baptism is is directly connected to who should be baptized and and in the like the minds of those who hold the view that John is um, critiquing right now, baptism is a public profession of faith. Yeah, and so um, it must be accompanied by faith, and it should be be at a time where where someone like it's like yeah, this is going to be a uh, my my stand for Jesus moment when yeah. I when I get baptized um, because and, and there's always a connection between what baptism is and who it's for. That's why we think it's for kids because it is the mark of belonging to the covenant people, um, not a public profession of faith. Sorry, yeah. keep going. No, you're that's great clarification. Basically, there's no place in Scripture where we we get this. Like, there's nowhere where it talks about baptism as being your kind of declaration of your standing with the Lord, of your public professing faith in the Lord. Um, we do not, we don't really see that in scripture. Um, what's more, it sort of shifts what the purpose of baptism is away from uh, a sign of belonging to God, a sign of God's covenant faithfulness to his people. And we make it a sign of our faithfulness to God. Um, so we take, we kind of take the, the importance away from God's faithfulness Great and put it on us. And so this is something that I think is uh, is not good. Like like I said, with the with the first view of uh credo baptism that we that I mentioned, I think I have issues with it, but I at least respect that it is biblically argued and building its case from scripture. With the second view, it is not building its case from Scripture. It is building its case from sort of practicality, individualism, wanting the kid to have an experience of um, you know, standing before the church and remembering being baptized. I'm not saying it's wrong to want to remember being baptized if you're 
a convert, um, but it's it's not what we see scripturally, and therefore it is. I think it is incorrect. Um, one one related question, maybe this. I, I'll toss this to you, Josh, just to get your thoughts. I think I asked you this before. Um, so I've I've talked with a couple friends before, and um, they basically said something to the effect of, um, "Well." Pedobaptism's fine, but I think I would just rather do a baby dedication and then, you know, just have a baby dedication at my church. And then when they're old enough to publicly profess faith, we'll, uh, we'll have them baptized when they want to so they can remember it. Um, do you have any thoughts on baby dedications and how they compare to baptism? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is, this is funny, um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, so, First of all, I think all, this whole argument is a really interesting muddling of it doesn't say that in the Bible, so we're going to go do all this other stuff that it doesn't say in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, um, and and I think so. Some of this is conjecture, but I think a lot of the convictions of modern evangelicalism from a Baptist persuasion, um, I think there's warrant for this claim, whether it be actual Baptists or non-denominational people or or something or some like denomination that's functionally a Baptist church with a different name. Mm-hmm. Um, Gosh, my freaking dog was just guzzling the water here. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. <laughs> anyway, all of those denominations, like they see, there seems to be a rigid, like, rather, I don't, it, practically, not intellectually, but practically, the desire seems to be not as biblical as possible, but as uncatholic as possible. Mm. Uh, we don't want to be. We don't want to. If a Catholic does it, it's wrong. Um, and obviously they don't take this to a logical conclusion because they're still often Trinitarians and, and other yeah. things. Um, but that's not, that shouldn't be the motivating factor. I, yeah. I love, I love picking on Catholicism more than the next guy, but, <laughs> but being, sure. being, being not Roman Catholic should not be the motivation for why you do or think a thing you yeah. should do or think it because it's in the Bible. And so I think practically a lot of things are done um, to, to push like, we don't want to be Catholic. Catholics baptize their babies. It's got to be wrong. Yeah. Um, and that's not a taught thing. That's an implied thing, I think, practically. Anyways, yeah. and, and so, like, there's this, well, pedo-baptism isn't in the Bible, and so we're going to do all these other things. But I don't see a biblical warrant for those either. Where in the Bible? What, where, like, the only kind of dedications that you see are in the, are in the Old Testament, and they are specifically, like, a temple barren mother. <laughs> right, temple dedication where a barren mother um takes her baby to the temple because she's like oh god gave me this child and but that's part of this your firstborn is for the lord that's a whole thing in the old testament yeah. and when the baby is dedicated to the lord in that way it's either to be set aside as a nazarite or a a most more explicit like hey you know how you said the firstborn whether it be from us or our flocks is dedicated to you i'm actually going to do that like yeah. it's not god does not instruct children to be like what what dedication has become is just, I want to mark my child off as gods without believing in infant baptism. It's like infant baptism light because we recognize implicitly that our children are to be raised belonging to Christ, but we don't want to put baptism on it because we don't like that for some reason. Yeah. Um, sort of wants your cake and eat it too. Right. And so I don't see, like, I don't, I don't see in scripture. This is not me trying to be like, demeaning or or whatever or sarcastic i literally have no idea in scripture where people get this idea that christians are to dedicate their children and i don't understand where people get the idea that 
baptism is a public profession of faith. I don't see those things being taught or implied or or yeah. treated uh, normatively in that way at all. I don't understand it. I would love mm-hmm. to hear someone defend that view. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's an interesting thing that um, we 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 culturally in the church take things <laughs> and are like, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's sort it's, of it's, it's we do unbiblical things in the name of of not doing unbiblical things. <laughs> yeah, or we do unbiblical things in. No, unbiblical when we say that we don't mean like we like Un, shoot untaught, someone or... yeah <laughs> right we um we do things that are not taught in scripture simply because we think they're practical or it 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 does the trick um and it makes sense to our sensibilities or something like that and so yeah so anyway that's the heresy long story short people reject infant baptism because they say it's not scripture and then they go and say that baptism is a public profession of faith and then dedicate their children, which isn't in scripture either, but it's not very Catholic. And so they're okay with that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, All right, cool. Questions with the catechumens. Sweet. Let's do it. We got two minutes to make this under an hour. Can we do it? Probably not. Here's the question. Let's try. Uh, You guys have talked about the sacraments being only effective for the elect, but also encourage people to baptize their babies. Good. Um, Of course, we hope our babies are elect, but if the means of grace only benefit believers and we can't be certain an infant will be one, why not wait until someone claims Christ on their own? Here Mm -hmm. are my quick thoughts. Yeah. Um, uh, Who the sacraments are for, sorry, who the sacraments are effectually, effectual for, like who they actually have their effect on and who ought to receive them is not synonymous. Yeah. Um, there is there is not a synonymous identity between those who should receive the covenant signs and those for whom they are effectual. That's true for every tradition and every belief, regardless of if you're Roman Catholic, Orthodox, Baptist, or whatever, or Reformed, or Presbyterian, or, or Reformed Baptist. Yeah. Never is there a synonymous reality that, that those who receive the covenant signs are is identical with those for whom they are effectual. And Old Covenant, New Covenant, that's the case. Yep. Um, Old Covenant, New Covenant signs are always received by the whole covenant people, even though they are only effectual for those who have faith. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, um, uh, uh, the, like this, like it is foolish for us to, it's not, and it's not our job to identify the elect and then treat them as such. Um, uh, first, that, that was a problem that Presbyterians fell into in the early ages of the colonies. It's a problem that that Reformed Baptists, I think, are frequently caught up in. Um, It is not our job to to make sure that you're the elect first and then treat you like the elect. The job of the church is is to convert aliens to the commonwealth of God to the gospel and to raise their children to be citizens and not aliens. Uh, And then we're supposed to treat... um, rejection of those realities with repentance and calls to repentance and discipline accordingly. Um, and so it's, it, we are not supposed to base our obedience based on what is practical with what we understand the effects of a thing to be. We are to be faithful and obedient, trusting in God and, and, and uh, acting in accordance with how he has instructed us. Yeah. Um, also a little bit of an anecdotal thing, like, like um, oh, we're already over an hour. We blew it. Um, <laughs> Sorry. We're almost um, anecdotal thing. Um, 
if this were if this were if the solution to only give the signs to those for whom they are effectual were accurate if that were good or true mm-hmm. then what we would see is communities where baptism and the lord's supper were withheld from all until they were really proved that they were elect um which you can't really do yeah uh, in a in a in a in a like very like like we should be confident that we belong to christ um, but not because look how well I've proved it. Um, but, but if that were true, then, then really strict reformed Baptist communities would have the, the least amount of apostasy <laughs> or like, so people if, if falling bapti- away, right. If baptism, if the signs of the covenant were only given to people who we thought were elect, um, then that, that would be, that reality would be supported if in that context, um, people who received the signs remained faithful, but we don't see that. Um, in fact, I know more people who have turned from Christ who were baptized as believers than those who were baptized as infants in a reformed context. Uh, that's anecdotal. That doesn't prove anything. It's not an argument for anything, but it does prove, it does demonstrate that, that it's not the job of us to give the signs to those who we are pretty confident are the elect or to give the signs to those who God tells us to give the signs to, uh, trusting that he will make them effectual. Because again, baptism and the Lord's Supper, the means of grace, sacraments are effectual, not by us really meaning it, um, but they're effectual because they're things that God does. Um, and so we give the signs to who God says to give the signs to and recognize that they're effectual by the activity of God in the people of God who are truly his people. Uh, but that's not our job to discern. Our job is to call to repentance and raise to believe and treat covenant members as believers and as covenant members until they prove otherwise. And if they prove otherwise, discipline them and or call them to repentance. John. Yeah, uh, you, you, you covered it pretty well. <laughs> oh. my daughter has come to say hello what a what a what a sweetie um <laughs> she's got a lot of spit up in her mouth what's up gross baby <laughs> oh man <laughs> she smiled and it all just gushed out she just had like a she just had like a Jabba the Hut moment. <laughs> oh. What a sweetie. What a gal. Hi, sweetie. Oh, gosh, you're so healthy. <laughs> so, Anyways. Um, sorry, Josh, you, you covered it. You covered it really well. One thought. Okay. This might be total heresy, so correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, gosh. I'm just going to throw it out here, and then if it's bad, we can either cut it out or something. Um, I think when we're talking about means of grace, I think the mean, the means of grace is, is effectual to those who believe. I think, though, there is a sense in which it is a grace, even for those who turn away from the Lord, for them to be brought up in the covenant community. Um, it is it is better for them to be brought up in the covenant community, um, baptized as an infant, brought up in the covenant community, even if they are eventually going to leave it. It is better for them to be part of that co- covenant community than it was for them to fully not experience it all. Um, 
And I say that in the sense of like, it is better for them to be surrounded by godly people. It is, yeah, I don't know. So just some like random thing I was thinking about. It might be heretical. Here's my caveat to that. I think it's true in a certain sense and given certain realities. So is it better to grow up in the covenant rather than outside of it um, experientially for, for the time in your life where you are growing up in the covenant? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It is better to live in the covenant people of God than outside of the covenant people of God for you in that moment. Yeah. Now, for those who abandoned and apostatized, for those who actually do not have faith, their rejection of the covenant res- means more punishment. Because as Paul talks about, like to They've those who have been given it. more, yeah. you've tasted the heavenly gift. And that's a, that's Hebrews. Hebrews but Paul yeah. also is like, like um, the Jews are especially condemned in, in Romans 2 because they were given the covenants and the promises and all that, and they still rejected the Messiah. Yeah. Um, and so there's a, a, a greater weight to scorning the covenant um, than there is to, to um, rebelling against God because you're a rebel and, and, and never yeah. came to faith or never knew Christ or whatever. Yeah, that's a good. Point. Um, and so, so yes, it is. And, and then like, like also it's better to raise your children <laughs> to believe it's better to raise them, mm-hmm. teaching them to believe rather than teaching them to doubt. Um, and, uh, that, and otherwise, but again, that comes with to, to, to those who have been given much more is required and expected and such. Yeah. And so it is worse for the apostate than for the pagan. Uh, but it's better in the moment to be in the covenant because yes, you do receive some kind of grace and blessing, not saving grace, certainly if you're yes. not elect. Yeah. Um, but you, there is, there are benefits of belonging to the covenant for all who belong to the covenant. Um, but those who enjoy those benefits and then scorn the cross in Christ, uh, it, that's bad news. Yeah. Them. Yep. Exactly. I my point basically was just that last point you said. It is it's better to be part of the covenant people of God than it is to be outside of that. And so um, even if you like reject your uh, place in the covenant, which is terrible, and the punishment is great, there is still grace in there is still non-saving grace in being part of the covenant people of God. But yeah, tangent, super random. It just occurred to me. And so I was thinking about it. So I thought I'd throw it out there. Um, But yeah, I think, I think you, you covered the, the gist of the question really well. Basically I would, the the only thing I would add is that um, is kind of to add to what you said about the, um, your anecdotal bit about um, who, falls away from the faith more. And I would just say that Jeremiah 31, like I mentioned, sort of talks about this. Um, you will no longer have basically anyone who's not part of the people of God in your in your midst. And my response to that is, if you see the Jeremiah 31 passages talking about the, the you know, a, a paedo-baptist church, then you need to answer for the fact that um, if there is no unbeliever in your midst, why are there so many people who leave the church? Who prove themselves to not be of us because they went from us, yes. to use John's yep, words. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. that yeah. And that would just be my final addition to kind of what you yeah. said. And I think to expand on that, Jeremiah 31 with teaching that like all will know the Lord, that that's the new covenant reality of everyone in the new covenant knows the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, we treat that as if it's a... Uh, 
an instant reality at the inauguration of the new covenant when I would say it's a progressive reality. Yep, exactly. Uh, that, that, that culminates when Christ returns and separates the wheat from chaff, which again, how do you make sense of wheat growing up with chaff? Um, if, if you say that you have a field that's only wheat and we can prove it and look, there's no, there's no chaff in this. Christ yeah. says that his field will include chaff. Um, so stop acting like it won't <laughs> and stop yeah. being surprised when there's chaff in there uh, and stop trying to get the chaff out when Christ says, don't do that until the harvest at the end. Yeah. Um, and so this reality of all will know God progresses as the church grows and as the church grows more and more who are in the covenant are those who know the Lord. Uh, and, and the culminating reality of that covenant is that all know God perfectly. Yep. Um, but that doesn't mean that from the inauguration of the new covenant in Christ, everyone who is a member of the covenant is a believer. That's clearly not the reality. Yeah. Looking at Jesus parables, looking at the experience of people who have gone away. They went out from us because they were not of us, even though at one time they were visibly. So yeah. And, oh, wait, sorry, Josh, last thing. I just got to say it. Um, same passage also says no longer will each one teach his neighbor and each his brother. It says, no, basically there's not going to be any teaching at this point. Um, and right. that clearly seems to be not true of That's any good church. Reality. Yeah. yeah. Culminative and, reality of the new covenant, not inaugural reality. Yeah. Of the new covenant. Sweet. Sorry. We went way over. Sorry. This is a fat episode. Uh, but. <laughs> it's good thanks for tuning in uh, send us your thoughts questions concerns to our dms on instagram or uh, uh to our email so you can follow us on social media twitter and instagram at catechize pod send us your questions comments whatever to catechize at gmail.com um like comment subscribe share episodes on spotify apple podcasts and the other random things that people use to listen to stuff um nice. yeah help us out in any way you can thanks for those who help us out by listening and sharing commenting and reviewing thanks to those who help us out by prayer and support and by word of mouth and thanks to those who support us uh, financially on patreon check out our website there'll be articles there i wrote an article about how articles are going to be sparse because of life circumstance but they'll still come every now and then yeah um uh and now um because of how christ intends for his church to be baptize your babies so that you might justly catechize your kids um we will see you next week yeah bye-bye